Trinity Baptist Church. Once, I was driven by my need for professional success and acclaim. I was willing to step on anyone and compromise anything for the world to tell me that I mattered as an artist, all while I was sinking deeper and deeper into self-hatred and despair. Then Jesus found me, and he told me that he loved me just for me, that my worth and relevance were confirmed when he died on a cross to save me. Today, I can rest in the knowledge that nothing I do can make him turn away from me and that nothing I do can make him love me more. My name is Beth Markham, and I'm new. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was at the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and his gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said... Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps the covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. The word of the Lord. So I have three questions for you today. And will you... Will you answer them honestly? Okay, like four people will answer honestly. Everybody else is hedging. Okay, first question. How many of you would be satisfied with your life 
if your life was just average. You ate average meals, you took average vacations, your job was average, your, your kids were average, your spouse was average, your dog was average. You, you had no highs, no lows, you never really made an impact. Your life was just average, it was just ordinary. How many of you would be satisfied with that? Okay, there's, there's like three or four people who are going with average. All right, next question. How many of you believe that God's desire for your life is that you just be ordinary? That you never get in a jam, you never take a risk, you never go out on a limb to stretch for something beyond you, that there's never any real conflict, that there's never a high or a low, that you never make an impact on the world, that your life is just ordinary. How many of you believe that's God's desire for you? There's one, two. Okay. Um, Genesis chapter 1 says that you were created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1 says that you were created to fill the earth, subdue the earth, and rule the earth. That doesn't sound ordinary to me. Ephesians chapter 2 says that, that we were created in Christ Jesus in order to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, God did not create you to be ordinary. God created you. He created me. He created each of us to be extraordinary in our own way. So, question number three. How many of you would describe yourself as extraordinary? Awesome. I love that. I didn't get nearly that many in the first service. What I didn't get was everybody's hand. And there's a, see, there's a disconnect because almost all of us said, no, I don't want to be ordinary. There's, there's a, a desire in my soul to be more than ordinary, to be extraordinary. Almost all of us said, God's desire for me is to be extraordinary. But not all of us said, I would describe myself as extraordinary. Do you see the disconnect? I want it, God wants it, but I'm not there. The question is, why aren't we there? I would suggest that we're not, we're not living the extraordinary life because we've bought the lie that we can't. We've bought the lie that, well, I'm not extraordinary. Or that I can't be extraordinary. And so we've opted for kind of the status quo lifestyle. We've opted for the, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to go for what I can get. 
and we live with kind of this ordinary mindset. I am so excited this morning because we are starting this series from one of my favorite books of the Bible, Nehemiah, and the series is called Extraordinary. Because we're going to see from the life of this ordinary man, a guy like you and like me, how he did some extraordinary thing. And he enabled the people around him to accomplish extraordinary things. And what I hope that we are going to learn from Nehemiah is that this God-given desire that we have to be extraordinary and, and God's desire for us to be extraordinary can, in fact, be realized. We can step into that place as we connect with God's love for us, God's purpose for us, God's calling on us as we connect with God himself. We can, we can experience this extraordinary life. So if you would turn to the book of Nehemiah, and if you are still looking at a, a real Bible, um, it's in that clean section of your Bible. Before, before we jump into Nehemiah, let me just read a verse from uh, Ezekiel 22. This is verse 30 of Ezekiel 22. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. In the ancient Near East, cities had walls. And a wall was a a symbol of the city's power, uh, of the city's greatness and honor. But if the wall was broken down, it became a symbol of of the city's dishonor. A symbol of disgrace. So it could be a symbol of, of glory or it could be a symbol of dishonor. And that's why when the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, they destroyed the wall. Because by doing so, they brought disgrace and dishonor on the people of Israel and on the God of Israel. So when God says through Ezekiel that he's looking for someone to stand in the gap, someone to stand in the place where the wall is broken down... Um, he's saying that he's looking for someone who would stand for him. Someone who would stand for his honor and his glory in the very place where the enemy would rush in. You see, God was looking for someone to be extraordinary. But he found none. Because everybody was just doing what everybody did. There was no one that stood apart. What we're going to see in this man, Nehemiah, is somebody who stood in the gap. This story in Nehemiah is about a wall. A wall had been knocked down and consequently about a city and a nation and who were under great shame and and great dishonor. But more than that, this is a story about an ordinary man who stood in the gap 
and did something extraordinary, so extraordinary that even his own countrymen didn't believe it could happen. I think that this book is important for us today because when we look at our nation, when we look at our world, when we look at our city, when we look at our community, we see that the, that the honor of God is under attack. We live in a day where the name of God is in reproach, where his word, his salvation, the essential truths of the Bible are not only disbelieved, but they are mocked. We live in a day where you and I, his people, are seen to be foolish and ignorant. Without question, the wall of God's glory is broken down and God is looking for someone to stand in the gap. He's looking for someone to be extraordinary. He's looking for ordinary people like you and me to step up and to be the people that we want to be, to be the people that God created us to be, where we reflect His image to the world. And when we do that, we will experience the extraordinary life that Jesus offers. You know, as long as we live for ourselves, for our own comfort, for um, our own um, wealth or, or pleasure or whatever it is, as long as we live for ourselves... We are, we're just being ordinary. We're buying into the status quo. And at the end of the day, we will never experience real satisfaction as long as we do that. There's something in us that, that wants, that, there's something in the core of our being that drives us to be a part of something that's bigger than we are that drives us to be about something that we can give our life to that goes beyond who we are. That's why men join the Marines, so that they can give their life to a a purpose that's bigger than they are. That's why women have natural childbirth. I can't think of any other reason why they would have natural childbirth than just to give, lay themselves out there so that They can be a part of something that's bigger than they are. Friends, there's something in the core of our being, as tainted as that may be, that is still in the image of God, and we long to give ourselves to something. We long to be extraordinary. So what does it take to move us from the ordinary to the extraordinary? Well, that's what we're going to look at for the next 10 weeks. And the place that we have to start is with the posture of our hearts. And that's where Nehemiah begins. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, which would be November, December, November, December, that time frame. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, meaning the 20th year 
of the reign of King Artaxerxes. While I was in the citadel of Susa, Susa was the capital city of Persia and was arguably the, the, the most important city on the planet at the time. Now, let me pause right here for a moment. <clears throat> what do we know about Nehemiah? We know that he is the son of Hakaliah. Okay. Uh, we don't know anything about Hakaliah. This is the only place in the Bible where his name is mentioned. And so that doesn't tell us anything about Nehemiah. We know that Nehemiah was a, a Jew born in exile after uh, the Babylonians came and, and, and conquered Israel and destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. So we know he was uh, a servant He was not Persian. My guess is, because Jerusalem is about 800 miles from Susa, my guess is he's never even been to Jerusalem. But we do learn something of significance about him from verse 11 of chapter 1. Nehemiah, after he prays this, this prayer just adds in this phrase, kind of an FYI. Oh, and by the way, I was cupbearer to the king. What does it mean to be cupbearer to the king? Well, it's, that's more than a waiter, okay? It's more than, hey, dude, bring me those cups. Um, a cupbearer was the person who took care of the wine and served the wine to the king. And so while the cupbearer was a servant, it was, he would have been a trusted servant because he was taking care of the wine of the king. So even though Nehemiah was not Persian, he, he was a Jewish, not really a slave because the Persians didn't enslave the Jews, but he was a, he was a servant, an ordinary guy. But somehow he had... He had shown himself to be a man of integrity, a man who could be trusted, and thus he had been elevated to this role as cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. In verses 2 and following, we get a glimpse of his heart, which very well may have been the reason why Artaxerxes said, I want that guy as my cupbearer. In verse 2, his brother comes along, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. See, he asks about the people, and he asks about the city. And this is not kind of like, oh, how's Joe doing? I haven't seen Joe in a while. And is that McDavid still near the sheep's gate? Yeah, you got to think about that one a little bit. Uh, this is not just a curiosity. This is, this is real concern for the people of God and the city of God. Verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. Those who, ex- those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and 
wept. The first thing we see about Nehemiah is that his heart breaks for the things that break the heart of God. And friends, that's what it takes to be extraordinary. If you are going to be an extraordinary person, then you can't be happy and satisfied with your life. You have to recognize that things, that it's bigger than you, that it's wider than you, and that, that God's purposes are bigger than you. And your heart is going to break for the things that break the heart of God. That's what we see in Nehemiah. Bill Hybels wrote a book a few years back called Holy Discontent. Where he talks about the fact that that there are things that bother us. But then there are other things that wreck us. There are things that just break our hearts. And often, God uses those things to get us off the bench and into the game. God uses those things as a springboard to get us to act. And Hybels calls those, those things Popeye moments. Everybody remember who Popeye is? Everybody know who Popeye is? You know, he had no biceps, kind of like me. Um, but he had huge forearms. And, you know, he, and, he, and he got strength from eating spinach. You know, I'm strong to the finish because I eat me spinach. I'm Popeye the sailor man. Right? And his, his girlfriend's name was? Yes, and she was a looker. Um, and the, his arch nemesis was Brutus. And Brutus was always trying to steal olive oil. Right? And, and he would always get Popeye in this jam. And then Popeye would have that Popeye moment where he would say, That's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. Right? And then he would eat his spinach and his forearms would bulge with superhuman strength. And he would go and he would write whatever was wrong. Extraordinary people have Popeye moments where they say, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. Nehemiah had that Popeye moment where he heard that the walls were broken down and the gates were burned and the glory of God was, was in reproach. And he said, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. It broke his heart. When you look at history, you'll see people like King David. David's an ordinary shepherd tending his father's sheep. And um, his brothers are off, you know, as part of the, the army of Israel. And they're in this, this standoff with, with the Philistines because the Philistines have this huge guy named Goliath. And so David goes down to, to see his brothers and he's taking a care package from home and he hears Goliath taunting the army of God and, and mocking um, the God of Israel. And David says, 
That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And it springboards him into action. And he goes from being an ordinary shepherd to an extraordinary leader and eventually the king of Israel. You think about the Apostle Paul. Paul is this guy that was persecuting the church and then Jesus saved him. And God poured out his grace on Paul and Paul saw the beauty of the gospel and then and he comes to saving faith in Christ and he looks at the church and he sees that the church is all Jewish and he says, that's not right. And he has this holy discontent that... that compels him to take the gospel to the Gentiles who are far from God. And friends, because he had his Popeye moment, we're sitting here today. And half of our New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. See, he was an ordinary teacher who became extraordinary because he had this holy discontent. Martin Luther he didn't set out to start the Protestant Reformation. He just got mad. Martin Luther saw the, the church leaders um, putting this, this yoke of legalism on the people and, and calling them to, you know, give, you know, if you put so much into the coffers, you, would have, you could cut your stay short in purgatory. And, you know, if you gave this much, you could have, it was called indulgences. And Martin Luther saw that and he said, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And so he sits down and he writes the 95 thesis and he nails it to the Wittenberg door and it starts a debate that starts a fire that grows into the Protestant Reformation. See, Luther was an ordinary priest who, who accomplished an extraordinary thing. Friends, extraordinary things don't happen because somebody comes up with an extraordinary plan. Extraordinary things happen because people's hearts are broken for the things that break the heart of God. So the question that we need to be asking this morning is, when I look at our world, when I look at our nation, when I look at our city, when I look at our community, when I, when I look at our, our church, what is it around me that breaks the heart of God and breaks my heart too. Is there something out there that you have a holy discontent for where you are looking at it and saying, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. Here's maybe a more convicting question. Do you have a holy discontent about anything? Are you good? Average is fine with me. Ordinary is fine with me. 
I'm okay with that. I'm okay with what's going on all around me. As long as I've got my life, as long as I can be cupbearer and I can just have this good job of tasting the wine of the king, and, and that's cool. You know, I might get poisoned every now and then, but other than that, I'm, I'm good. You know, as long as I can just settle into my comfort, my little comfortable life, whatever's going on out there that's wrong, I'm all right with that. Friends, God, God created us to be extraordinary. He created us to have a holy discontent where we would look at the ills of the world and we could sit here and tick them off this morning. We could sit here, and it doesn't just have to be big things like poverty and, and racism and, and broken marriages and pornography. And, you know, it doesn't have to be these macro things. It could be something as specific as cliques in our church, which, by the way, we have. Is God okay with that? Are we okay with that? See, God says, there are things that break his heart and they ought to be breaking ours. Nehemiah doesn't medicate the pain. He doesn't run away from the pain. He doesn't look at the, hear this news about the broken down walls and the burned gates, but he he doesn't say, oh, I'll just go back to my nice little job. So I'm, that's tough about Jerusalem, but Jerusalem's 800 miles away. He leans into it. He sits down, everything else can wait, and he weeps. It is a time for mourning, and so he mourns. Friends, when God stirs your heart around something, it's because He wants you to do something. Do you hear that? If God is stirring your heart about something, He wants you to do something about it. Notice the first thing that Nehemiah does. Verse 4, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. The first thing that Nehemiah's broken heart was inclined toward was prayer. I don't know about you, but I'm a doer. Are you a doer? How many doers? Okay. I like to have my list and then be able to jump to my list and check off my list so that when I get to the end of the day, my list is done, right? Yeah. Aaron knows. Aaron knows. We're doers. Nehemiah, as we're going to see, was a doer too. But it's important for us to recognize that before, when Nehemiah hears this word, he doesn't go, oh, okay, man, the walls are broken down, the gates are burned, here's what we got to do. He doesn't sit down first and come up with his to-do list and then jump to action so that he can check off his to-do list. The first thing that Nehemiah does is he gets on his knees and he prays. Friends, if you're going to be extraordinary, you have to have a heart that breaks over the things that break the heart of God 
And you have to have as your first priority action to pray. That's what Nehemiah does. I love Chuck Swindoll calls Nehemiah a leader from the knees up. I love that. You see, Nehemiah was a man who had a soft heart but callous knees. He was a man whose heart broke for the things that break the heart of God. And that broken heart, that holy discontent drove him to his knees. Here's his prayer. First, in verses 6 through 8, he confesses. He says, essentially, this is on us. We turned our backs on you. We were unfaithful to you. You did what you said you would do. Um, This whole thing is our fault. Friends, when we look at the ills of our world, when we look at the ills of our city, when we look at the ills of our church, the first thing we have to do is own it. We got to own it. This is on us. God didn't do it. We did it. Either by, either by taking active part in it or by sitting back and letting it happen, it's on us. And we need to own it. Nehemiah says, I, Lord, I confess. I confess about the sins of, of our people and my fathers, and I, conf- and I confess that I've been a part of this. Friends, confession and repentance is critical. And then in verses 10 and 11, he says, essentially, I'm available. He says, grant me, re- grant me success. I'll work, but I need your strength. And I love the last line of this prayer. He says, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now, this may not seem like much to us today, but, but kings in that time were sovereign. And so... This king, if you crossed him, he could kill you. No questions asked. A sovereign, if he decided he didn't like you for any reason, he would have you killed and there was nobody to stop him. It was his call. His word was final. There was no due process. There was no checks and balances. He was sovereign. Now think about this for a minute. Put yourself in Nehemiah's sandals. Okay, if you read, um, if you read chapter two, the first seven verses, you're going to see that Nehemiah makes some huge requests, some outrageous requests. He's going to go. You're going to go to the king, and you're going to, even though you're a servant, you're going to ask for a leave of absence. All right, and not only is it a leave of absence, but it's a it's an uh, indefinite leave of absence. You're just going to go to the sovereign king and say, "Oh, king, I'd like some time off, and I'll let you know later when I'm coming back." What's more, you're going to ask the king, "Oh, and by the way, I'd really like for you to give me some letters of endorsement 
so that as I'm traveling, I can hand them off to the governors and they won't hassle me. And not only do I want that, O king, but I want you to donate materials so that I can rebuild the walls of the capital city of a former enemy nation. How's that going to go for you? I think you got a really good chance of being killed. Right? So Nehemiah prays. God, you are God. And he's not. He's just a man. You are God and I am your servant. And I'm asking you to grant me success. Give me favor in the eyes of this man. Because if you don't, I'm a dead man. Guess what happens? Chapter 2, verse 8. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. And I love this. The king had also sent an army officers and a cavalry with me. Isn't that awesome? Not only does he grant the request, but he sends protection. Here are two takeaways. Very quickly. When God stirs discontent in your heart, when he gives you a Popeye moment, he intends for that to stir you to action. He wants you to do something. And when you lean into that discontent, when you begin to do something about it, He will be your spinach. He will strengthen you. And He will give you faith that will push out the fear. He did for Nehemiah. Lord, grant me success. Now I'm going to risk everything and go. And the second takeaway is that God delights in pouring His favor on ordinary people who decide that they want to risk everything to do extraordinary things. God delights in pouring out His favor on ordinary people who decide that they're going to risk everything to do extraordinary things. I want to close with this prayer that Paul prayed over the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide It's not just about you. It's bigger than you. How wide? How long? It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. It may take a while. But God's going to be there and His love's going to be there. How long? And how high, how high does God's love go? Does it go high enough to impact a king? How high and how deep? 
It's his love deep enough to move you to weep. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do how much? Immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Friends, God God wants to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. He wants us to connect with His love and understand the, the enormity of that love. He wants us to connect with His purposes and His passion. He wants us to be extraordinary. He wants you to live an extraordinary life that enables others to live extraordinarily too. The only question is, do you want that extraordinary life? Do you want to be extraordinary? Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you have taken, you have, you have made it um, your practice, your norm to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a a congregation of people that are not going to settle for the status quo. We're not going to settle for it in our church. We're not going to settle for it in our lives. We're not going to settle for it in our community. We're we're just not going to settle for average. We're not going to settle for status quo. We're not going to settle for ordinary because you are an extraordinary God and have called us to extraordinary things. I pray, Lord, that you would begin to break our hearts for the things that break yours. Lord, there are some of us here this morning that have a holy discontent right now. There's something going on around us that just breaks our heart because we know it breaks your heart. and We're we're destined, we're, we're committed to doing something about it. And there are some of us here who at one point had a holy discontent. We had a a Popeye moment and we were doing something about it, but somewhere along the line, that fire's gone out. And we need you to rekindle it. We need you to start it anew. And there's some of us here, Lord, that quite frankly have never had that. We've never had our hearts break for anything outside of ourselves. I pray that that would happen today. I pray that that would happen in this season. That as we 
move into this next season in the life of Trinity that all of us would be committed to the extraordinary. I'm going to ask you to do something and only do this if you're committed to it. If you want to commit yourself today to stepping into the extraordinary purpose that God has for you, I want to ask you to stand right where you are, and I'm going to pray over you. Just where you are, if you're committed to being extraordinary, I want you to stand. Lord, um, I thank you that that we are a community of faith that this morning is saying, Lord, we want you to do the extraordinary through us. We want you to, to break our hearts. We want you to move us to action. We want, Lord, to have those Popeye moments where we, we are the ones that are your vehicles to rebuild the broken walls, to stand in the gap, to restore your honor and your glory. And so, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on our congregation and that your Holy Spirit would um, specially equip these folks who have stood to commit themselves to you and your extraordinary purposes in their life. Lord, I pray this for your namesake and in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.